Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. I'm probably not doing as fantastic as the wonderful residents of Sheldon, Iowa, but I'm doing pretty well. Tim, do we need to wait 50 years to find out how you're doing? <laughs> no, I, I'll let you know right now. I am doing great. This is a really fun episode, and it's a little bit of a breath of fresh air for us to cover something uh, much lighter than true crime stuff. This is definitely mysterious, but more of a cultural moment, I suppose, at this point. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about time capsules, and specifically one that was lost in Sheldon, Iowa, just recently. And we speak with the Chamber of Commerce director, Ashley Nordahl. And this was completely unintentional on our part to expand a topic into a full episode. And then as we were discussing this with Ashley, it expanded a little bit more. So there's some more time capsule information. And really, it's amusing to me to no end because the more you dig into it no pun intended or pun definitely intended the more you dig into these time capsule stories the more fun they become and this had started off as just an oddball offbeat story that we discussed with our weird friend scott on the last episode of weird space we talked about some of these news stories from the uh, current week and this one just stood out. I mean, we talked about Alfredo sauce spilling all over the highway, an emotional support alligator, an ad that was placed that wanted psychics wanted. I mean, we had a bunch of them, but this one just stood out for, I think, the reason why you would mention during this interview, it had a real human element to it. And it has this familiarity to it because anyone who's grown up in a small town knows how these types of stories can take off and become a beast of their own. It also satisfies that Parks and Recs itch and that Schitt's Creek itch. Like everybody wants that story about that small town, the the unique things that are going on in the small town. It's quirky and it totally lived up to expectations. We had such a good time with Ashley. Yeah, we, we absolutely do. Yeah, and I agree. It's just it's a little bit of a, a slice of Americana, something uh, that is pretty unique to our airwaves where we're digging into a very small and local mystery um, specifically centered in the the town of Sheldon Iowa but this interview that we had with Ashley was only about 25 minutes or a half an hour so one thing we wanted to do is kind of fill out the rest of this episode talking about time capsules and some other lost time capsules before we get into that, Tim, I have to ask you a question. Have you personally ever buried a time capsule or something of value to later be dug up? Yeah, definitely in grade school, we did this like, uh, you know, first day of kindergarten and then we dug it up on like the last day of kindergarten or something like that in grade school. Maybe this was sixth grade. I don't know. Somewhere in that range. Oh, so you did it collectively with your school? Yes. I think we did too. I think our school, I can't remember which grade, had something like that where we buried a time capsule. Maybe I could check into that, maybe reach out to some of the old classmates of mine. But on my own, and I remembered this while we were speaking with Ashley, I had buried, before my family moved out of the house that I grew up in, I had buried a baseball card in the backyard. 
Do you want to take a guess as to whose rookie card I buried? Bo Jackson. No, that would have been a good one. I'll give you I'll give you two more guesses. Cal Ripken Jr. Oh, that would have been a good one too. Um Mike Greenwell. Also a good one. Don <laughs> Mattingly. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, d- definitely a sort of a famous player for the Yankees back then in the uh, 80s and early 90s. I know exactly where I buried it, and I think that there's a garage that they built over it. I know that they did some construction, the people who moved in after us. There's been a couple of owners since then. Maybe next time I'm up there, I'll uh, swing by, see if they'll let me take a shovel in the back. It's, a, <laughs> it's not It's not buried deep. I was just a kid. Do you think it's disintegrated by now? It was in one of those airtight, hermetically sealed plastic containers, and I put that inside of a coffee can, I think. Oh, so yeah, you might really have yourself a uh, an actual time capsule still there. Oh, we're going to take a camera out there. It'll be a whole new episode. I'll bring <laughs> Ashley out there. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely keep us updated if uh, if you find it or uh, or make any progress there. And before we get into the rest of this interview, I just want to take a sec and talk about the fact that this town in Sheldon is burying another time capsule. They will know exactly where it is this time. In 50 years, they'll open it. And we decided on this interview that the interview we were conducting would be in that time capsule. And I think your suggestion was great. They want to put in something that represents technology. So put in an iPhone with the interview downloaded on it, then some instructions on how to play back that interview and in 50 years you and i will be unearthed in sheldon iowa Oof, that I, I i can't wait i cannot wait to answer questions about this 50 years from now and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors kickoff for super bowl 34 the titans rams 2000 super bowl an instant classic Hours after the game, two men were stabbed in the street, accused of being in the middle, the greatest linebacker in NFL history. Ray Lewis and two friends are charged with murder. The nation's eyes were glued to their televisions. The trial concluded and the verdicts came back. Not guilty. What you can learn from all this is that big cases make for big mistakes. Look what happened in O.J. Simpson. And look what happened in Ray Lewis. Lewis went on to have a Hall of Fame career, but questions around that night in Atlanta still remain. So what do you think they're hiding? They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. After 20 years, it's time to get to the bottom line truth. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston, and this is The Raven. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free listening and early access, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on tenderfootplus.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Did you know that there is an international time capsule society? Didn't know that until about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, me too. You can find it at itcsoc.org, 
and it's the International Time Capsule Society. And they have an article here about some lost or potentially stolen time capsules, famous ones. I was kicking myself because it's in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> oh, we should have went just recently. We, we were just in Atlanta, Georgia, and our hotel was on the same street. No way. Yes. Uh, well, it's definitely someone's someone's apartment. Well, there's a contact information here, so we will have some follow-up with the International Time Capsule Society. <laughs> Okay, so there's some famous lost or potentially stolen time capsules throughout history, and there's one here from George Washington himself, who apparently buried a time capsule in 1773, somewhere on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. Well, yeah, this is great that you're starting with this one, because it seems like, according to this article, the custom of burying time capsules is an outgrowth of the Masonic cornerstone laying ceremonies. Back in the day, members of the Masonic organization would put something in the cornerstone when they're erecting a building, when they're building something. So typically, if that cornerstone is unearthed, there's something there. So George Washington, who was a Mason, performed the ritual upon laying the original cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol, and even though the Capitol has gone expansion and reconstruction, the cornerstone has never been found, and it's unknown whether George Washington put anything inside of this cornerstone. This is all from the article that was written by the International Time Capsule Society. So I thought that was really fascinating and great that you're starting off with this one, because while I believe time capsules predate Masonic ceremonies— it seems like the Masons were the ones that made it into a ritual of sort. Yeah, there does seem to be a connection between time capsules and the Masons, um, just with some with some light Googling. Um, so that's, that is interesting. Um, if anyone has any more information on that, please feel free to email us at crawlspacepodcast at gmail.com. I'd be curious to uh, hear some more about the origins of time capsules themselves. We're going to have to have a whole separate show now, Capsule Space. <laughs> well, apparently they never found the one on the Capitol grounds, if if there is one there at all anyway. Well, I believe that there is, because if this was something that the Masons did regularly, and this was something as important as the first construction of, of the U.S. Capitol, I would, I would imagine that George Washington would want to really incorporate that ritual, him being a Mason, and most of the people that he associated with were Mason. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with this. I think we should uh, take our shovels and head to the Capitol uh, tomorrow. <laughs> I think we should avoid the Capitol to be honest uh, after recent uh, events, but um, we shouldn't Capitol... go there waving our, our shovels around. <laughs> Apparently the, uh, the Capitol has undergone extensive expansion, remodeling and construction uh, since George Washington apparently buried a time capsule there somewhere unknown origin. My my guess is that some construction worker just found it at some point and it was just, you know, thrown away in the dumpster like with with some of the, the other and and I would uh look to this time capsule story about the TV show MASH as this an one example. bugs me. Just another <laughs> thing Alan Alan Alda did that bugs me. <laughs> well, this is an example of how this, I think, can happen kind of easily. Um, so apparently the TV show MASH 
uh, the cast members buried a time capsule that contained props and costumes from the show back in January of 1983. And no one would say where, but it was apparently specifically on the 20th Century Fox parking lot in Hollywood. Now, it's probably under a Marriott hotel. That's what people were saying up until someone who worked on the construction crew of the hotel, I'm assuming, found this time capsule. And Alan Alda wrote in his book, Never Have Your Dog Stuffed, that he was uh, approached by this construction worker with the time capsule and Alan Alda told him to keep it. The guy wanted to give the time capsule back to Alan Alda, and Alan Alda was like, keep it. First, I understand it. MASH was super popular. It was around forever. The cast definitely you know, connected, had a bond. They put it in some props and costumes. You know, There might be pieces of scripts in there or something, and they buried it on the grounds where it was produced. Awesome. Totally cool. They want to dig it up later on. But the fact that he told the guy to keep it, is like that really bothers me. I mean, there are other people that joined Alan Alda in burying this. He wasn't the only person on MASH. Like, maybe these other people <laughs> wanted to see this. Maybe we could have had like a reunion of the surviving members of MASH on to go through the time capsule instead he and then give it back to the construction worker after that. Like, yeah, Alan Alda and your ego. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it could have been a viral moment had the cast all reunited for this time capsule unveiling. But it led me to think that Alan Alda might be lying about this, to be honest. I know he wrote it in his book, but like, is anyone going to be able to track down that construction worker with that story at this point? Like, I feel like he knew he could just put it in his book and no one's going to ask about it uh, years from now. You're probably right because... It was secret where they buried it, and the location wasn't divulged. It was just a construction worker found it, as far as we know. So, yeah, he probably just put it to bed by saying, oh, that was found. I told him to keep it and move on. So we're moving on from it. And then in his little warped mind, it's still there, <laughs> and no one's going to find it uh, until years after he's gone, and then they can produce a special on it, and the memory of Alan Alda lives forever. <laughs> Man, you really hate Alan Alda. Well, he it all started with his podcast. <laughs> um, I will say, though, I think this is a little different from the George Washington one. I feel like if a construction worker working on the Capitol found that, I think it would be obvious. It would probably have some Masonic symbols on it. It would probably stand out like whatever was in this cornerstone would definitely stand out. And I feel like that person, if they had any scruples would turn that over to say the national archives or to some other you know organization that could put this on display because yeah. what good is it doing and if they took it home or something or i mean unless it's just like you know massive construction where they're just taking all sorts of material and debris out and it's just going into a dumpster well, I would think they probably did do that, right? Because one thing we've learned about the Capitol in the past year or two is that there's a whole parking garage underneath it. Um, so I would say that they probably did do a huge construction um, undertaking there. Um, but you're probably right in that it would have been marked with something interesting um, and, you know, would have sent off alarm bells if found somewhere by a construction worker. But who knows? Maybe they got like big cranes and stuff going through that. Maybe. Yeah, I guess we'd have to 
independently do some research on the renovations and the reconstructions that happened at the Capitol, or we could just have one of our listeners do it for us and send us an email. <laughs> yeah, if you have any info, please send it to us at crawlspacepodcast at gmail.com. The way that this is written, it makes it seem like George Washington just like did it on a whim someday by himself and never told anyone about it. <laughs> but that probably wasn't the way it happened. <laughs> oh, the thought of George Washington sneaking out at like four or five in the morning in his nightgown with his his wig not on and he's carrying his little box and he just goes and like puts it in the in the construction of the Capitol that just gives me a nice warm feeling. And here's one that was stolen, Lance. This one's really wild. And it also has to do with American history. Apparently on July 4th, 1976, when president Gerald Ford arrived for the sealing ceremony in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, it was supposed to unveil this time capsule where 22 million signatures were on this, uh, apparently the scroll or something that had been buried, but someone stole it, Lance. This is just a shame that this is stolen. And I would love to know what the person did or people, what the persons did with this time capsule. It was to commemorate the bicentennial, July 4th, 1976. This was something, Valley Forge, very historical location in Pennsylvania. Someone stole the capsule. Someone left it unattended, by the way. That's that's one of the, my <laughs> biggest thorns here in my side about this, is that it was yeah. left unattended in, in a van. So it, it probably wasn't even a planned theft. Someone probably just happened upon it. Right. Or it was an inside job. Right, right. Good call there. Um, I think usually uh, something we've learned from doing Empty Frames, the art crime podcast that uh, a lot of the art heists around the world were inside jobs. Most are, actually. Um, and this is sort of a cultural heist as well. So I'd really put it right along the same lines as art or something like that. So, yeah, that's a good theory, Lance. Um, it hasn't hasn't turned up. It's been almost 50 years. Hasn't turned up. Uh, so maybe someday that will turn up, that stolen time capsule. And those 22 million signatures, I guess, represented a pledge of rededication to the United States of America. Interesting. I guess we're not rededicated to anything anymore. I mean, it's null and void now. <laughs> Maybe in 2076, which would be the tricentennial. Yeah, 2076, the tricentennial. Let's get uh, 42 million signatures. Let's get 42 <laughs> million signatures, but we're going to have a rededication of the Crawl Space podcast. I love it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I love it. And we can start with this episode. So if you are listening to this in the year 2072, email us, check us out at crawlspace-media.com. Make sure to send us an email at crawlspacepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website, follow us on social media. I'm sure we'll have millions of followers by that time in 2072. And we just wanted to say to the Folks in the town of Sheldon in 2072, after doing this episode, it's safe to say that you are our favorite small town that we've not yet visited yet. And we truly do hope that the entire community thrived under the leadership of Mayor Ashley Nordahl. Mayor? I'm pretty sure she's president of the United States in 2072. She had to start somewhere. So director of Chamber of Commerce, mayor, president...
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometime in the early 80s, Ario Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across. But nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley Nordahl. How are you today? I'm doing well. <laughs> this is really uh, a treat for us because we cover a lot of true crime and we cover a lot of he heavy topics. And we've recently started to do the segment on Crawl Space that features offbeat sort of weird news stories, not like of the week, but kind of current. So we try to say as current as possible. And we did one, it went over really well. We brought on our, our an old friend of ours, his name is Scott. And he always adds this unique twist to it, this sort of deadpan dry quality that uh, works really well in the episodes, especially for the types of stories that we discussed. And we found this story about your little town and <laughs> the situation it was in. And Tim said, this is my favorite story so far. And it was <laughs> before we actually recorded. And I was sort of, sort of skeptical. I was like, I don't know if this is going to play uh, with with the, the mood. And as we were talking about it, it really unfolded. And we <laughs> all were like, this is the greatest story we've ever heard. <laughs> and there's so much to it. So Ashley, could you introduce yourself and uh, your position in, in Sheldon? Yeah, so my name is Ashley Nordahl. I'm the chamber director here in Sheldon. Okay, and how long have you had that uh, title? I've actually been here for just about a year, so not super long. Oh, wow. Oh, so wow. This is, this is a big <laughs> a big story to have come across your desk uh, in just a year, I'm sure. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, can you please explain to us the size of the town, maybe a little bit of the geography, maybe a little bit of the history of the town? What's what, How big is it? What's it known for? 
What's the community like? We are a small town in Northwest Iowa, um, a little over 5,000 people, a growing community for sure. Sheldon is like kind of like your typical small town, you know, like we, everybody knows each other. The community um, is very close knit. Okay. So just over yeah. 5,000. Uh, yep. That's really close to the size of the town that I grew up in. So I can relate and I can yeah. relate to the fact that something like this happening makes news. Mm-hmm. Can you take us back to 1972 so we can set it up for the listeners? <laughs> I don't know that I can. I can give you the knowledge that I have um, going over this. <laughs> um, so back in 1972, they were celebrating the um, centennial. So it was a big to do. Like they hired somebody to come and help celebrate the centennial. So I think this number, um, I think they spent $15,000 to have somebody come. And it was like a huge production. Like they wore costumes. They put on multiple skits on the football field um, Trace to go back in history and like learn about how Sheldon started. So it was a really big deal. And, you know, in that time, $15,000 is a lot of money. So just something that they really wanted was to highlight all of the history. So I think that's kind of how the time capsule came to be is uh, they wanted their history, their timeline to be remembered in 50 years. So they kind of um, came together and put together a lot of really important documents to them at the time. And then, yeah, threw it into the time capsule. So um, I think the celebration in 1972, um, it was in July, but I think a lot of their events took place over the year too. Like they just spread it out throughout the entire year. Okay. Well, that's a big celebration, the centennial. Yeah. You got to do it up. Absolutely. Now, what skits took place on the football field? Very curious about this. They have this program of events. So it took it took place over a week in July. So they had concerts and then they did like old our actual our current mayor actually was in one of the skits and it was like placed in a schoolroom. Um so I don't have like what it was all about, but there was just multiple different like snippets, I think, from history that they had pulled. So an old time school room and there was like reenactments with like old pioneers where they did like picnics and had horse drawn vehicle parade. And like there was a pipe smoking contest and <laughs> wow. beer growing contest. Um, <laughs> it was crazy. A pipe it smoking was crazy. contest? Yes, and my I'm I'm not even lying when I say this. My great grandfather won the pipe smoking contest. Wow, so. <laughs> this is this is turning into something amazing. Yeah, and this was 1972. And how do you win a pipe smoking contest? Well, I don't even know. I think it was like how long or something. Literally, I think it was just how long or how, like how much they were in the park. I think for a certain amount of time, and I there was just a a, a small little. Um, snippet about it in the paper and I don't know oh here it is here it is Elgrisma wins and pipe smoking Wes kept his pipe going for 59 minutes and 34 seconds oh so it was <laughs> long how whoever won <laughs> kept their pipe smoking the longest so yeah. uh okay yep. so you could have just kept putting kept refilling with tobacco but there was a judge yeah. there who made sure that it was still lit yes Yep. <laughs> Interesting. I, I don't know what I would have expected that to be. I feel like maybe tobacco smoked, I feel like, would have been, right. you know, measured by weight would probably have <laughs> uh, determined the winner. But I'm definitely yeah. wrong on that. 
Did they have to? Did he have to inhale, or was it just kind of puffing? That's a great question. It doesn't say. Because <laughs> I don't think someone could inhale smoke for almost an hour. I don't think no. so. That would no. be outrageous. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you, Sheldon's a crazy town. I wouldn't hey. put anything past Sheldon. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> okay, so what happened when this uh, this story made national news? Honestly, we were. We were so blown away. We could not believe how big it got, how fast it got. Um, you know, as we were going through the motions and kind of making the decision on if we were going to postpone the ceremony or anything, we like we didn't honestly we didn't think much about it. Like we knew that it was under the plaque somewhere. We just didn't know if it was directly under the plaque. So we knew we were going to get to it, and we just didn't want to make a mess, obviously, in front of our big weekend. So we just said, yeah, let's just maybe postpone it, and we'll we'll come back to it after Celebration Day's weekend. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from the Associated Press, and um, it's kind of like super casual, like, what's going on the weekend? And then he throws in there, you know, like, and I hear your time capsule's missing. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, it's not missing. And how did you get this information kind of thing, you know? So then we kind of started digging and, yeah, saw kind of where everything came from and how big it got. And we were just like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> so where did it come from then? Where where did that, where did the Associated Press reporter get that information? It was actually leaked in a tweet. So we had sent out an email to our members, the chamber members, and just let them know that we were going to postpone it. So then there was a tweet that went out from a community member that said that it was lost. And some, I don't know how it blew up, but they had like over 300 um, likes and a bunch of retweets and people were, you know, commenting on it like this is like an episode of Parks and Rec and, you know, just funny stuff, like all good hearted, I think. But we were just like, oh, my gosh, this is so blown out of proportion. Like we know where it is. D- don't worry. It's not actually lost. So we just can't get to it. So <laughs> I think the reason why it appeals to people so much is because it's it's really relatable to yeah know like your community is banding together to do something and it's important to you guys it's important to the community and it's also really funny that it gets blown to this big national news story (laughs) and the town and you have to defend it and that's just so like what's the word i'm looking for it's so like it's a special moment in your town's Mm -hmm. history Mm -hmm. it is it's one of the most human stories I can think of, um, honestly, because, it, you know, humans make make errors and uh, this, you know, people forget things. Um, and then just just a t- the idea of a time capsule in general is like a very human creation and really all about your past and culture um, was the person who sent that erroneous tweet spoken to. Um, n- not directly, I don't think. Um some coworkers of his, we've had some conversations about, about it. Um, and there's, it's all understandable. Like it's a, it, no hard feelings from our office, you know, <laughs> um, it was a lot right away, but like, like you said, it's, it's all in good fun. And at first we were like, Oh my goodness. Like, like you said, we need to defend this and defend ourselves a little bit, but everybody has been so good about it and just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it happens and it's, it's, it's it's kind of fun for the town to have this to look back on too, how big it got. So, well, I I want the recording of this interview to be put on a hard drive, and then that can be buried in your in your new time capsule. <laughs> so in fifty years they can play it. I think that would be amazing. Uh-huh. We had so many questions when we were recording, and you you've already kind of answered them just in the yeah. 
in the brief description that you you've already already given one of the questions was like how did they lose it because we were operating under the assumption like you had no idea where it was well, there was no map it was sort of like in a general <laughs> area that's not the case right Right. So what happened is there is a plaque in City Park um, that it said, uh, you know, to be open July 2022. So we knew that it was in that general area. Um, but the, the issue that we ran into is there's a veterans memorial that's now there that there's concrete laid entirely around that plaque. So it's not like it was just dirt that we could, you know, kind of swing and a miss. You know, if you're there, you just go a little bit farther and try to find it there. Um, so we, we knew we were dealing with concrete and then a neighboring town actually had an issue with their time capsule this year where it, they thought it was two feet in front and it was actually two feet behind and it was eight feet in the ground. So when we heard that, as we were, the planning committee was talking, we were like, oh man, like we can't run into that because we, we truly did have a ton of people coming to the park that following weekend. So we knew it was there and then we just wanted to get a little bit more specifics. We didn't know size. We didn't know if it was directly beneath the plaque. So those little bit of details made us hesitant enough to want to wait. That way, if we were digging up concrete, we didn't have an event taking place as that mess was there. I actually was then working with the librarian in town and she was able to look up old newspaper articles that then had a, had an image of it that showed that it was like the exact same size as the plaque. And it stated in that the caption of the image that it would be placed directly beneath. So that's what gave us the confidence to say, okay, yep, there's like caulk around the plaque that we can kind of peel away, get the plaque up. And then, yeah, it was right there and easy to access. So Okay. So a, a genuine mystery very briefly in yeah. in that how deep how uh with size is this are we sure it's right there we don't want to make a big mess construction of that area w i'm sure would be a big mess and very expensive right so immediately when you started this position did you know about this time capsule and that in a year you were going to be responsible for the unearthing of it yeah actually um one of the first things that i started to work on was obviously our sesquicentennial so um, it was brought up in a very early meeting. Um, and actually to add even more to the story, I ended up being out for a long medical leave with my daughter. Um, so I was gone. So there was a committee that took place to kind of cover me. And so they did a lot of this work. So then I came back in and they did a great job, but there was just a couple details that were missing. So then, yeah, as I came back in, it was like, okay, now we really got to kind of hammer down and find it. Um, which is why, yeah, it kind of all unfolded how it did. So, but yeah, it was, they were digging our museum, our a town historian runs the museum and she has been looking for, for details for months to try to find like the actual directions. Cause we we figure they wrote something somewhere. We just haven't come across it yet. So it was kind of a long process. And you are the director of the chamber of commerce. Did you ever feel like as you were preparing to locate this, did you ever feel like your job or your reputation might be on the line if, if this didn't work out? <laughs> um, I didn't really until it kind of blew up. And then we were getting so much attention. And I was just like, like I said, I didn't even know what to do. I was talking with my staff and was just like, I don't know what we're going to do, how we're going to save this. But it feels really, really big right now. So <laughs> there was a little bit of hesitation there for a while. Well, now you need to harness this because you did succeed <laughs> and you could probably run for mayor of Sheldon because yeah. as the as the hero mayor. 
<laughs> yes. As soon as that position comes available, I'm going to I'm going to run. <laughs> well, you have this you have this podcast to announce your uh your when you Candidacy. make that announcement, you can use yeah. this platform. I love it. <laughs> and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Oh, Canada, a vast, idyllic land filled with beavers, loons, lumberjacks, and polite, friendly folks. We have those things for sure, but there's a darker side to the Great White North, full of mystery, crime, the paranormal, and dark history. Join me, Mike Brown, and co-host Matthew Stockton every Monday for the Dark Poutine Podcast as we tell dark stories from north of the 49th parallel with the Ottawa game covering more international cases. You can listen to Dark Poutine for free wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Listen to the 48 Hours Podcast for shocking murder cases, and compelling real-life dramas from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. You seem you kind of tried to get ahead of the story, and and you were saying that this was a, a big misunderstanding here. You're you're quoted in this article from Radio Iowa. So, uh, did it feel like the story got out of control for you guys at some point? Um, honestly, yeah, it did. We had it was, and it took place in a matter of about 24 hours. So it was, the tweet was kind of sent out there. And then I kid you not, the next day I came to work and I had two radio stations within an hour of here that called me and said, I am on my way to Sheldon. Can you meet? I want this story. Um, So it was just kind of like a whirlwind for that 24 hours. And we were answer. we, we've never answered so many calls from news outlets and months of time as we did in that day um so it felt crazy but it lasted like i said about 24 hours and now these few things that have kind of popped up as follow-up but we were at a loss for yeah that that wednesday essentially now i guess what would have happened if um if it wasn't there when when you dug oh man i don't know (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what we would have done because that was, that was the spot, um, regardless of if it was right underneath or not, we knew we were going to be there. So if it wasn't directly under the plaque, we probably would have just put the plaque back and waited for the weekend and then tried to figure out if we needed to get some equipment in to help us find it. You know, like I said, that neighboring town, they ended up hiring someone with like underground sonar radar to find Mm -hmm. it. So I don't, we maybe would have looked into that if, if it came down to it, but it definitely would have waited till after the, after the big weekend. 
Wow. And we had mentioned that, I think it was in the article, and we had mentioned it when we recorded, that there was a possibility of bringing in ground-penetrating radar. And some mm-hmm. of the missing person cases that we work on with our podcasts use that to locate bodies. And it, it's like so much red tape if you're going like a legal route to do it. Um, yeah. But you need like a uh, independent company to volunteer their time to do it, which we've had before looking for a body. And it was like a morbidly funny conversation we were having we were like we might have to get our people that we know out there yeah. to 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 find this for them you know free of charge right that would have been great what a that's kind of an interesting correlation <laughs> yeah so you pull up the plaque how many people are there and and are there like influential members of the community is everyone so- on pins and needles <laughs> So at that point, honestly, my boss and I were just kind of like, let's go see what we can do. So we went to the park to take a look at it. And we actually called our city maintenance crew to see if they could come with, um, you know, like crowbars and whatever. So uh, they came. So it was my, my boss and I. And then there ended up at the end of it being four city maintenance crew guys. So six of us standing around this little plaque. And they are just like, so we we kind of pull away all of this caulk and they are just kind of going at it with these crowbars. And it it took a little bit, but it did come up. Okay. And what was in the time capsule buried in 1972? Yeah. So there is a program of events, lots of newspapers um, from both that weekend and then just kind of throughout the year that they threw in there. Um, each church actually put together a like a pamphlet of information, kind of a packet. Some of them had their directories and things in there. Um, there's a pen. There is, so I had mentioned there was a beard growing contest. So there's a button that it says brothers of the bush. And so every uh, male in the town had to participate and either grow facial hair or they had to pay to get this button to be excluded from it. So that's in there. Um, the Prairie Queen is uh, Sheldon's kind of logo. So there's buttons with the Prairie Queen on it. Um, a Bible. <laughs> some other like, I don't know, just some other papers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that the Bible is funny to me um, because how much is that really going to change in 50 years? In 50 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> also, any church paperwork is funny to me because for the same reason, pretty much. Right. We're not going to change that much. <laughs> uh, I just have a, I have a wonderful image of people in like 1972 clothing, 1970s cars in a room. You know, they pull up to the to the meeting house and they go in and they're discussing the important things to put in this uh, time capsule and writing down information on the future generation to, to find it. And you mentioned that you went to the you you and a librarian worked on mm-hmm. uh, locating this based on documents. Was there instructions? No, no. So what we found we so that's what we were looking for. That's why the t- the town historian was kind of combing over the museum, thinking there's got to be something there, um, and there wasn't. There was just enough of a little bit of information from a few different articles that we were able to piece it together from that. But there we never did find directions. But it was pretty easy to open. Yeah, it was. It seems a little irresponsible of the prior generation, and I'll leave detailed instructions. Did you think that they did and it was lost, or were they just? Uh, I picture them smoking a lot of marijuana, so maybe they just, maybe they, maybe they just got a little too too stoned. It's a different kind of pipe smoking contest. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> I um, I don't know. We honestly thought we would run into them, but since we haven't, I don't know if there are any directions anywhere. It's definitely something on our list to do when we rebury it. <laughs> okay. Well, I have another question here that I forgot to ask. There's nobody in town who was there when they buried it the first time? So there are, um, and we, I did reach out to them. There's actually a couple of members that were on the committee back then. Um, and so we did speak with them as well, and they just could not recall what um, exactly had taken place. They, he had just had, the one that is actually very involved in the community, he had mentioned that he, he has a lot of memory of a lot of it, but that was one thing that he just couldn't remember where it was. And what was, in your opinion, the mo- the single most important or interesting item that was unearthed in the uh, 1972 time capsule? I think this book on the centennial, it just has so much history in it that I think it's really important to have, you know, to, to share with future generations on kind of where Sheldon began and, and what it was in 1972. And you couldn't have stored that in a library. That That has to be stored underground. <laughs> I think there are copies around, but yes, the uh, the appeal of it being underground is, is very good. <laughs> now, you're going to bury a new time capsule in 2022 to unearth it 50 years from now? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, we're going to keep these, the, the items that are in it now, we're going to keep those for future generations to see. But um, we're putting together a committee to decide what we want to add to it um, from today. So. Oh, good, good. Okay, got to make sure that Bible's still in there. Definitely yes. don't mess with that. Yes. Um, I have a, a major suggestion here. Um, I think you should print out the tweet and put that in there. <laughs> Maybe uh, laminate it to make sure that uh-huh. time doesn't dissolve it. But I feel like that would be a good story in 50 years. I think so. That with, like you said, the <laughs> recording of this interview. Yeah, They'll so... be so surprised at how popular Sheldon was. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is... I, I don't know if I would be, I don't know if I can continue anymore. I just might have to retire knowing that in 50 years, an interview would be like unearthed in a time capsule. And now like Sheldon's now my favorite small town in America. That's our goal. We'll, we'll all be doing interviews about this interview in 50 years. Right. That would be crazy. <laughs> Uh, now, what what else do you, do you think will be put into this uh, time capsule? We honestly don't know. We've had a couple of suggestions of things like um, technology. Now, I don't know how we would how we would do that, um, but I think it'd be super cool to see where technology is at in fifty years compared to what we had today. So, um, we've talked about seeing if we could get something brand new, you know, like like an iPhone or something that's yeah. in the box that would be hopefully preserved. So. Yeah, current newspapers, we'll probably do a special newspaper with a lot of information in it. We'll obviously go in there too, but we haven't gotten much farther than that as far as planning. Okay, yeah, I think technology is a good call. I, I wrote down a few things that, that I would uh, put into a time capsule today, and an iPhone is, was actually the first on the list as well. Um, but I think in your case, you should just just get a new iPhone. Maybe, maybe the local uh, Apple store will donate it, keep it in the box, but... Subscribe to Crawl Space and download this episode. So when they turn oh, on the phone, mm-hmm. that's it's queued up to that. On yeah, there. <laughs> yes, that's great. Yeah. that's much better than a hard drive because in in fifty years, who knows what kind of cables you'll need to like plug right. in a hard drive? Yeah, yeah download the episode. <laughs> Done. Yeah, it's a great Done. idea. It is a great idea. I love it. Yeah, I also wrote uh, mouse and and mouse pad. 
Maybe uh, yeah. I feel like you know I don't know how computers and moving your you know around on a computer will change in fifty years, but I feel like things might change a little bit in that yeah. direction. Yeah, that's a valid point too. <laughs> Maybe a GPS unit. <laughs> with directions plugged in to where the time capsule yes yes <laughs> now is there any indication that there's another time capsule in the town from maybe 100 years ago there's not um, we have not come across anything that would that would lead us to believe that oh you know what we should do we should send out a tweet that says oh. Sheldon looking for first time capsule. See what happens. Oh, Be my the town God. that lost two time capsules. <laughs> would I don't even want to imagine what that would come to. <laughs> now, did you see like an influx of people? Were were there people from outside of town that had never heard of the town and just heard the story and came into town and now you have like a booming tourist uh <laughs> tourist uh like I don't your economy know. is now like based on tourism. <laughs> I don't know if we saw people come to town at that point because it, like I said, happened so fast. Um, but the calls we got, I got calls from people in Denver, like my grandma has a picture of something, you know, the time capsule or whatever, in a scrapbook. And yeah, just the the reach that we had of people calling in or emailing saying, you know, I know I know this little bit about it or. I know someone that was there was, it was crazy. There was so many people invested in helping us find it. So it's kind of cool. But this librarian uh, essentially solved the case um, all themselves um, yeah. by finding this old article. And and what's the librarian's name? We'll give a, a little shout out. I'm Nicole Weber. Excellent. Well, congrats and thanks to uh, Nicole Weber for, uh, for solving this mystery. Yeah. Really almost <laughs> ran off the tracks. Yes, very close to it. <laughs> and and congrats to you for leading the town, leading the search, persevering, unearthing this. <laughs> Honestly, you can use our show if anything else happens in your town that strikes the same or similar chord. Yeah. Please keep us informed about the new time capsule and its contents. And if we can help in any way to, uh, I don't know, talk about it or, or whatever. Give you guys some press for it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ashley, for uh, spending some time with us here today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.